Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, we're at episode number 166. I'm Paul Spain, and my guest on this episode is... Tony Beard. Welcome along, Tony. Great to uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Now, uh, you are in charge of uh, Vodafone's networks. Tell, tell us what your... What, what that means exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm responsible for uh, all of Vodafone's um, fixed and mobile network infrastructure. So that's uh, everything from copper tails, fiber tails, through to the mobile and fixed infrastructure, through to uh, international, including potentially Trans-Tasman Cable. That sounds exciting. Potentially Trans-Tasman Cable. We might have to ask you a little bit more about that as we, as we dive in. Uh, look, we've got a few, uh, you know, general topics on the agenda to, to chat through in terms of, uh, news and, and, and gadgets of the week. Uh, but we are very keen to, uh, to get through that and, and to talk with you a little bit more around, uh, Vodafone Network. So, uh, first up, now we've got a couple of, uh, little books here that we had a look at. And, uh, last year there were, um, there was a, there was a book called uh, Nerdy Numbers, which came out from, uh, actually it was called My Little Geek, and then there's now a series of these books uh, that were uh, that were, were put together by uh, Andrew Spear and uh, Sarah Spear, so this is a, a New Zealand uh, production that's, that's picked up quite a bit of interest from around the world. Now, we were looking at these earlier, Tony. What's your, what's your pick? Do you think these are going to be of interest to... Uh, to parents here in New Zealand, they're, they're quite an unusual sort of kids' book, aren't they? Yeah, they seem to start off quite um, quite straightforward and easy, and then chuck in a few curl, curl, curly ones like the speed of light, which I quite liked. Yeah, yeah. So they, they look as though they're they're aimed at sort of uh, you know the the toddler toddlers up, but uh, yeah, there's some fairly complex uh, things in there, but extremely well illustrated, and uh, yeah, quite a bit of fun, aren't they? I, I just thought maybe. Um, like when you chuck in a curveball, like the speed of light, continuing that theme, like a prism and how many colours of light there are or something like that, because children are really into colours. So maybe taking a, theme, a nerdy theme chucked in there somewhere and extending some interesting bits about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of directions you could go. I think now that with these, with uh, the two books that they've just sent us here, uh, nerdy numbers and uh, sci-fi shapes, uh, that brings it to three. But no doubt they'll uh, they'll they'll have more uh, based on the success of these ones. So anyone that's interested, anyway, have a look at mylittlegeek.com, and uh, you can find out there about the um, about the book. So if you're a bit of a bit of a tech head, bit of a geek, and uh, you'd like your kids to uh, uh, jump into uh, to that as well, then these are, are a fun way to uh, get them plugged in. Yep, definitely. Now, uh, what else have we got? We've got a few other little gadgets floating around uh, here, but before we look at those, uh, we've had news over the weekend that um, Windows uh, Windows 8.1 is getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of an update, and there's been some uh, screenshots and so on uh, leaked over the weekend. And it sounds like uh, the, this next update to uh, to Windows uh, could arrive as early as uh, March, and it's sort of going to 
I, I guess try to bring together more of those two worlds of Windows where you've got the kind of the touchscreen metro feel and you've got the uh, the original sort of um, desktop Windows and that's certainly what we're hearing about Windows 9 next year that will really bring those together uh, but this update seems to go, um, go part way and uh, give some options that are maybe a little bit uh, friendlier to those operating with a, uh, a keyboard and mouse. Now, Tony, are you uh, a big user of, of Windows yourself? Is that sort of what you, you, you use at Vodafone? Uh, Vodafone uh, is a big Windows user um, globally. Um, we'll be upgrading to Windows 8 in the near future, in fact, uh, which will be really good. Uh, that allows us to simplify a lot of the uh, remote working and other aspects that it brings along. So uh, we'll be keen to see that convergence with the acquisition of Telstra Clear last year. Uh, it'll also allow us to bring together a lot quicker those two environments on uh, and standardise the, the uh, standard operating environment across the company. So that will be the plan. And yeah, I have been involved in Windows over the years. I actually am a bit more of an Apple user but um, in my private life. But um, yeah, my first job was writing additions to BIOS to make it multitasking in the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> oh, sound, sounds interesting. That's real geeky stuff. Yeah, I did a few <laughs> naughty things with it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but these days you're, uh, you're mostly using Mac and, and Apple type stuff personally? Yeah, Apple Mac at home and uh, iPad and iPhone and Nano and yeah, all the other bits. So, how does that work in with your with your work life, where you you know you need to use uh, Windows for various things? Yeah, I think um, the big drawback of the iPad has always been not able to actually edit things that people email you. So, with the four G network, you get super fast downloads of emails. You open them up and you can look at them. <laughs> so, uh, I think you know with the integration of Windows and more um, pad or um, laptop devices that can be integrated with 4G network, uh, it's going to be a lot easier. Good, good. Well, talking of that, we've uh, we've just been having a look uh, before at a prototype uh, device that's going to be launched into the market. Uh, what I'm hearing is it's going to reach New Zealand around April. Uh, this is Panasonic's new 7-inch uh, Toughbook, which runs Windows 8.1 and has an Intel i5 processor. So basically the, the same sort of uh, powerful type processor that's usually in a desktop PC uh, or in a laptop. Now, it's fairly chunky because it's uh, it's designed to be waterproof and uh, to be able to be dropped and so on, and it's got uh, um, a 3G and 4G sort of capability in it. What's, uh, what's your take on this? Where might this fit within the market in New Zealand? Well, I'm a great believer in rural broadband. Um, I have um, felt that machine-to-machine and rural productivity and RBI are linked intricately. So these sort of devices I can see hugely applicable for in the tractor and on the farm where you can monitor your irrigation system from the tractor. You can make sure that the fertiliser is being applied accurately and that your effluent ponds are working accurately and you can do it all from a device like this. So I see this really applicable for the rural environment especially. Yeah, I think that, and that's pretty important to New Zealand, isn't it? That we uh, that we're, we're extremely productive in those in those environments, and that we catch issues uh, as quickly as possible. So, you know, being able to network them up in some way and use a tool like this uh, 
could be pretty good. How how is how are the mobile networks now in terms of uh, delivering coverage into those rural areas? Because we've certainly you know in in years gone by, there's been you know a lot of big sort of holes, I guess, within the networks. How's that improving with, for instance, the uh, rural broadband initiative? Is that uh, is that making a big difference? Uh, yeah, we've done about 75 new cell sites of the, out of the 154 that we are contracted to for rural broadband. We're also looking at a few extensions to that in various parts of the country. We touched on South community cell site program, and there's a couple in the South Island and one in the North Island that we're actively pursuing. Um, we'd say that the rollout to date's added about 0.5% population coverage, but a huge geographic increase in area obviously the population gets less as you get out into rural but as you mentioned rural productivity is going to need these devices and these um, these solutions so RBI is steaming ahead I'm feeling pretty positive about it we've as you may have seen we've been testing L700 off um, Lake Brunner in the South Island and um, so for those that are listening and don't know what L- L700 is yeah, that's um, 4G um, using the analog TV spectrum. Right. So, so now that we've turned off and we can't get uh, TV, we can't get a TV picture on our old uh, black and white and old colour TVs that don't have a free view. That's that's that uh, frequency, isn't Correct. it? Correct. So yeah. um, it's between 698 megahertz and um, 798 or 803, and it's being sold off in two. Um, 45 megahertz uplink and 45 megahertz downlink duplex bo- blocks. Um, that auction is still underway. The first phase was completed, which was who bought how much spectrum, and the next phase is who buys what bits of the 45 megahertz. So it's still ongoing. Right, and uh, how how have those um, been split up so far? Because uh, that that's quite it's quite interesting the way that sort of uh, yeah. So telecom forward. got twenty megahertz of the forty five, Vodafone fifteen, and two degrees ten megahertz. Um, the extra five megahertz difference between two degrees ourselves and telecom is around capacity and peak speed. Um, but with other technologies like carrier aggregation, we don't see that as a huge differentiator. The main thing is going to be the number of cell sites and the spread of the network. And the 700 megahertz gets you around 22 kilometres in free air compared to um, the higher radio frequencies, for instance, 2100, which is our one of our 3G layers, is about 10 kilometres. So you can sort of... Right, so a big difference in terms of the distance of coverage that you get with those uh, those lower frequencies. And also in building and other areas like that. Right. And, I mean, obviously it's something where everyone would like to have as much as possible of that spectrum, and I think the the numbers... uh, that came out that uh, you know telecom had paid for that last little uh, slice that gives them a little bit more was what was that eighty nine eighty three eighty three million yeah New Zealand dollars right which is so an eighteen year lease on the spectrum so it's about one dollar per every man woman and child for the next eighteen years I think I worked it out today. right right um, for them it, to have bid at that level means that you guys have a bit fairly close to that. Um, yeah, well, that, well, basically, the auction was um, rounds of a million per round per day, right. three rounds per day. So, yep. you know, that's we were close to that. Yeah, yeah, okay, very interesting. Okay, oh, that, that's. I'd good. rather put the money into new cell sites. 
<laughs> well, I guess you've got. Well, yeah, you, you've got to um, you've got to put it into something else because it's not going into that uh, that um, spectrum, is it? Um, now, something else which we've been sort of waiting for Vodafone to do is to launch um, VDSL. So, you know, late last year, uh, you launch your ultra-fast broadband plans and you, in conjunction with that, you, you put in the offering of uh, the Vodafone TV, which was previously the T-Box the when it was under uh, Telstra Clear. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've done with uh, with VDSL, it, it seemed to take a little bit longer uh, to come to market than some of some of the others. Um, is there any particular reason for that that you can sort of talk about? Um, so our focus was on getting the fibre product out and putting value value added services on fibre. So we've rolled out fibre to the home, the ultra fast broadband product, including um, a TV offering. So we have high-definition TV, 130 channels plus pay-per-view on top of that. Um, We've partnered with Sky on that offering, and we think it's a very compelling use of high-capacity broadband. Video is obviously the killer app for for that type of um, space. And VDSL, um, we would want to add the same sorts of applications to, and we would be working through the techni- technical aspects of that in the near future. We do have a VDSL offering. We have had for a while on the the ex-Telstra Clear Network for businesses. Sure. So we're not new to VDSL. We yep. have had an offering. This is more the chorus wholesale VDSL offering that you're referring to as being a bit later. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, in fact, in these premises here, amongst our numerous internet connections, and, you know, we've got the convenience of having an internet provider downstairs as well, uh, we do have one of those VDSL connections from uh, from Telstra Clear, um, and it's very competitive before you start paying for the data, but it's quite expensive on that basis. Do you think we might see some uh, some changes in... in uh... I can't comment on commercial. I'm sorry, I'm an engineer. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'll try, try to twist these things out of you in case I'll pass you might, your comments on. How's that? So, yeah, yeah, that, that'd be great. Um, I mean, and, and, yeah, certainly Telstra Clear were, were, you know, were very early to market in terms of uh, a VDSL, uh, you know, capability, you know, hence one of the reasons that we have have it um, what uh, you know, what more can we expect from Vodafone around that VDSL offering when we were chatting before you you suggested that you might be doing some testing around doing video yeah and well that, that uh, uh, sort of sky offering over the VDSL overseas VDSL has delivered um, video and our set top box is capable of having a, a VDSL input our UFB um, gateway device um, has a VDSL port and a fibre port, so we have capability. It runs to up to um, over 100 meg um, plus speeds on the output side. Right. So our in-home device for UFB is capable of VDSL, so that's one tick. Yep. Tick number two, we know that device does a good set-top box feed. So the only issue is the bandwidth and speed that VDSL delivers, so you wouldn't be able to have as many concurrent channels you probably wouldn't have all channels in high definition, um, which you can do on fibre. Sure. But but a reduced video offering is definitely on the cards. Oh, that's exciting. Good. Um, that is that something that takes a long time to sort of put together? It's testing the technology, making sure that it's end-to-end reliable, making sure that multicast from the provider of 
the wholesale VDSL can do multicast, um, those sorts of issues need to be addressed. Right. So that's the sort of stuff that you've got to work on behind the scenes and and, and get it working yep. in, a, in a way that you could roll out broadly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, we'll be watching that with some uh, some interest. Uh, very, um, yeah, very good that I think that you've got that VDSL offering in the market, and you've come in with some quite competitive prices, right? Your uh, your initial prices, certainly from a consumer perspective, are just exactly the same as your ADSL prices for at least for the first twelve month period. Yeah, I think um, as a goal, you should see that the better quality speed provides the end user with an opportunity to use more. So I see the same for 4G, actually. <laughs> yep, yep. So, I mean, on that basis for 4G, I guess the common thing that, that I often hear, and I'm sure listeners will be sitting there thinking as well, we've now got 4G, LTE, it's, it's so fast. Um, are those things that you're you're hearing from those that make such decisions that we're going to be getting uh, you know, plans that give us a bit more data over the, over the sort of a year ahead? I can't comment on commercial from a concrete perspective. All I can say is look at historical trends. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, that, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, now, what else were we going to chat around, um, around VDSL? I think, I think that sort of, uh, that covered it. Is there anything else that's sort of important to know about VDSL from a, from a consumer perspective? For instance, we were looking at some of the online, uh, Maps from uh, from Chorus, and sometimes they suggest you can get VDSL when you can't, and and vice versa. What what do you do in that sort of a situation where you're really you know quite confident that you think you should be able to get VDSL? Maybe you're getting a really high uh, speed on your ADSL connection, and you know that your cabinet is enabled for VDSL. What sort of hoops you know does a user need to jump through to sort of find th- that out yeah i think things are changing quite a bit with the access networks at the moment so it's a matter of um the infrastructure provider be it ufb or copper based services to make sure those maps and as built are updated as soon as possible and feeding that through to the retail service providers we are dependent on a lot of those maps I mean, we do the RBI ones, so I guess I've got to make sure I eat my own dog food there and we update ours regularly. But um, from the fixed infrastructure side, it's going to be the local fibre companies and, and Chorus. Right. Yeah, because we were looking at an example on a, on a map uh, earlier, which was um, you know, north of Auckland, Puhoi, and the, uh, the, you know, the Chorus map said how you can get greater than one megs worth of speed. And, you know, the other things you commonly see on there will be greater than 5, greater than 10, greater than 20. And in this case, uh, there, there originally was a, a Vodafone RBI, um, you know, wireless connection in place. That's been replaced with a, um, a Vodafone DSL circuit, which gets, you know, around the 20 megabits. Um, but the map says one. So, uh, that could be a bit, you know, Confusing, I think it was probably. At least it's in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Worse if it's in twenty and you only got one. <laughs> well, that's 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 true. That's true. But, uh, yeah, it's down to the those maps, yeah. but it does sound like it could probably do VDSL. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, and and you know, in terms of getting around those situations, can people just call up the you know the the call center and and, yeah, and ask it, for some help in terms of hey, look, I know the map says this, but can you can you do some sort of check to see if I can get something faster? And I'm sure they will. It may need to get referred back to one of our people to liaise with Chorus or whoever the um, local fibre company is. Yep. 
and is sort of jumping on your on Vodafone's message boards or the the Geek Zone message boards are those good sort of places for people to ask those questions too? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of those forwarded to me personally yep. and try to act on them. Excellent. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, because obviously everyone wants to get as fast and as good as they can, and uh, yeah, sometimes the data that's out there isn't isn't quite uh, uh, accurate. Moore's law. Yes, well, these things keep doubling in theory. Um, well, I guess it's not quite the case with um, with fixed line speeds, is it? They're not uh, increasing maybe at the same pace. Have you sort of done a comparison between uh, network speeds and, and um, you know, CPU speeds with Moore's Law? Oh, I was actually and, thinking doubling? I might go away and do that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the data usage every year is over doubling. Right. So... Um, you know, is that both we're on over, fixed network yeah, and on, yeah, and on so, mobile? Yes. So um, every year the fixed network's going up by 60 to 70%. Right. But when you're talking 12 petabytes, that's quite a lot <laughs> per month. Yeah, it's a fair um, bit of data. And the mobile network's over 500 terabytes a month. And when I started at Vodafone just over three years ago, it was 60 terabytes a month. So in just over three years, we've gone from 60 terabytes to 500 terabytes a month. Wow, that's some impressive uh, amounts of data. I'm looking forward to one petabytes to go for this year coming up. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there'll be a few people willing to volunteer uh, if you can uncap their uh, data. Yeah, once again, <laughs> I'll pass that one to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Okay, no, that's uh, oh, it's it's always interesting to hear to hear those uh, sort of stats and 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 numbers. Um, oh, now before we before we go any further, there was one other gadget that we had uh, sitting around here, or well, a couple more that we're going to have a quick uh, chit chat about. Um, one was a, there's a laptop here. Um, well, it's a sort of hybrid device actually from uh, from Lenovo. This is the Yoga, uh, which has been floating around. We heard about it a few months ago. We've only finally got our hands on it uh, just in the in the last uh, few days for sort of an extended. Uh, usage. Now you had a look at this one as well. It's the. Oh, I uh, thought that's quite good actually. It's the, a bit the, heavier. The laptop that you can sort of flip the screen, you know, right over on its on itself and uh, and and turn it into, as you say, a heavy or a chunky uh, tablet. But it's a you know it's a full blown uh, I guess laptop with all the sort of usual grunt that you would expect in it. And there's a little uh, stylus there as well, so you can uh, you can even pop that out and sort of scribble on the screen if if Does you it have uh, 4G on it? if you want to. And I think it's available with at least 3G. Yeah. Uh, actually I've been waiting to hear back from Lenovo on their uh, on their 4G because I know HP uh, and they've got some some competing products uh, with this. They've got a, a really nice um, um, laptop that you can spin the screen around and, and, and fold down over the keyboard. And the new version of that that's just come out is definitely 4G LTE enabled. Because that's, um, that's what I really like is the ability to use the device wherever you are, whenever you want to. Well, there's a, and there's just such a big performance difference, isn't there, now between uh, 4G and, and, and 3G? The latency is the big thing I see. Mm. So, so talking about that, can you, can you tell us what the challenge is to get LTE, to get 4G rolled out uh, more broadly? And obviously you're you know, ahead of the game. Vodafone started, uh, when did you first launch? It was about Feb- February, February uh, 2013. Almost uh, a year ago. With, with LTE. And then uh, you know, Vodaf- uh, Telecom have just sort of come into the market in, in the last you know, two or three months or so with their, uh, their offering. Um, but you've been trying to get it out 
pretty broadly. What are the challenges associated with uh, with doing that? So um, the rollout we've been doing back to Spectrum again has been uh, LTE or 4G on the 1800 megahertz spectrum. We have 20 megahertz of, of that we're rolling out. A um, little bit of tech talk. So we're using MIMO, multiple input, multiple output, to get the speeds up around up to 150 megabits per second on that spectrum. Um, with the so what what does that what does that mean in sort of layman's term the multiple and multiple out that's that's basically like having a parallel processor perhaps would like be a, having sort of two two send and, send transmissions and two receive transmissions correct. at once almost like yep. uh, putting two cell phones together and yep. and getting sort of an aggregate of the performance of those two yep. devices sort of parallel processing on two receive and transmit lines yeah mm-hmm. and. Um, so we've rolled that out um, to 35, 35, 36 towns around New Zealand now. Um, obviously, we want to get denser coverage in each of those towns, especially some of the major cities, Auckland, Christchurch, Wellington. Um, we have done 25 rural sites. Um, so a lot of the holiday areas, Coromandel and Omaha, Lee, South Island equivalents, um, we've upgraded to 4G. Um, for the Christmas period, obviously, you get a lot of people going out of the major cities with 4G devices. Yeah, I think that timing was probably appreciated by a, a lot of people. The, you know, the performance is definitely uh, noted when you go to those locations. I think we had Wanaka smiling this year, <laughs> which was good. Um, so the challenge would be um, to continue the rural rollout, I want to do LTE 700, the 700 megahertz spectrum we talked about before to right. get that wider coverage. And we'd be looking to hopefully kick that off this year. Um, so is there a downside to sort of rolling out with your um, 1800 megahertz rather than the, the 700? Does that mean you have to go back and sort of you know redo it no. later? Or what are, what are the so challenges? So what there? we're trying to do now is make sure that all upgrades include um, antennas capable of 700 megahertz and 1800 megahertz right so, and then then to switch that on later is yeah. that just sort of flick a switch in software almost or will there's, there's still a lot of work you'll actually have to physically go around and um, do or radio frequency so the rf the laws of physics back to the children's numbers book the laws of yep. physics talk about the need for a radio frequency um card beyond that it's predominantly software Right, so you won't put those cards and things in place right now. You'll you'll buy them when you when you're ready to use them, sort of thing. Um, well, actually, a lot of the vendors are still getting them ready. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I guess that's a good point about seven seven hundred megahertz, isn't it? As this is a a new bit of spectrum that isn't commonly used, what anywhere in the world. So Australia has taken a bit of a lead um, in this area, followed by us. Uh, Korea, we're hoping will really jump on it quite soon. It's the Asia Pacific band plan, so. It's actually getting wider than Asia Pacific. In fact, parts of Europe, South America are also talking about using it. The wider Asia Pacific includes China and India, but we're not sure what's going to happen in those two markets. So hopefully there will be a huge volume of devices. That's that's the critical well, that's the question, isn't it? Is is the 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 smartphones and the the gadgets that uh, that support that seven hundred megahertz that will take a little while to flow through? I, I believe it'll take a wee while, but hopefully we'll start seeing devices this year. Yeah, with Australia sort of being maybe a little bit ahead, have they got devices that are in that? Have they got there, smartphones there that support are that just yet? Or? Devices 
to right. the best of my knowledge, around, yes. Right, but it's not, uh, you know, you can't go out and buy an iPhone today, no. for instance, or a, or a you know, standard uh, Android device um, that, that, that supports it no, either. But a lot of the chipsets that go into the devices are made by one or two manufacturers without using names. So those manufacturers all have roadmaps that include software-definable chips that include those um, those frequencies. So I'm thinking you'll start to see it become a lot more quicker to turn around new radio frequencies and combinations of radio frequencies. So the next big thing beyond that is called carrier aggregation, and that's called um, LTE Advanced or 4G Plus or whatever you want to say, and that's where you basically join these different blocks of spectrum together and the handset and chipset manufacturers need to support that, and they, they, they all seem to think that they will be able to quite soon. Right, and that's pretty exciting from a performance perspective, isn't it? Once you, once you start um, doing, doing that, what are the sort of speeds that are sort of theoretically possible to, so, to deliver via, um, via LTE? Yep, so 20 plus 20, which is 20 megahertz of, say, 1800 and 20 megahertz of some other spectrum and we've got 2600 megahertz or 700 megahertz you add those two together and you're getting about 300 megabits per second to the device the next big jump is called tri-band aggregation and that's three times rather than two blocks you can do three blocks and it just goes on from there in labs you've got up to one gigabit per second to a device that's uh, that's some pretty crazy numbers, uh, especially considering that uh, you know most people in New Zealand haven't got ultra fast broadband yet. Uh, you know, which typically for consumers, I guess, is going to be at that hundred mega, uh, hundred megabits a second sort of performance. Although we know Chorus is already out, uh, you know, trialing a two hundred megabits offering for uh, consumers as well. Um, can you can you talk to the point that that often gets raised by uh, you know by by people saying oh we, we don't you know we don't need fixed networks any anymore we don't need uh, fiber to the home uh, because look we're uh, we're mobiles going in terms of performance and yeah, the sort of numbers I, uh, you're talking about are obviously a lot faster but um, there, there's not an unlimited amount of uh, capacity is there on a on a wireless uh, you know on a mobile network so. Um Fibre to the X, and you can define X as whatever you want, is absolutely a must. So fibre to the home, fibre to the cabinet, fibre to the cell site, that's what I mean by X. Just put something at the end of the fibre to the. Sure. Um, is an absolute must. I mean, we've just tested and upgraded our backbone network um, to 400 gigabits per second per wavelength of light because we know that there's nothing like a piece of glass and wavelengths of light for that high bulk capacity. I think um, putting wireless into cabinets on the street and small cell deployment and other things will give a huge lift for capacity to the home on wireless, and I do actually believe there's a huge future for 4G and 5G um, around the corner, probably by 2020, where you you will be using wireless everywhere. But you will have to have fibre to a very close point nearby. So, what what's five G going to look like in a in a, in a mobile world? Five um, G is millimetric, what's called millimetric radio, and millimetric means you're up in the gigahertz rather than. Um, so, at the moment, a lot of the spectrum we use is around the one gigahertz band. So that's the two G, three G, four G is all around the one gigahertz. When you get to five G, you're talking around. 20 to 70 gigahertz and the benefit of that radio frequency is you get very very big bandwidth so it's bits per hertz is always the sort of planning rule you have 
you have if you have lots and lots of hertz, you can get lots and lots of bits. That's why light is so good because <laughs> it's yep. just so fast. Sure, on the hertz side. Um, so the idea is um, at millimetric, you might be up around the thirty gigahertz, and you get a hundred megahertz of bandwidth rather than ten megahertz, as we just talked about for right. two degrees, say on the on the L seven hundred. Yeah, that means you can pump huge capacity through. The drawback of that radio frequency is it only goes a very short distance. So you're going to have to have lots and lots of small cells, almost like Wi-Fi hotspots, everywhere, and then you'll get gigabits of download speed. So you're going to still need fiber behind it. But right. it is about 2020, I'd say you start to see some of that stuff coming through. Very cool. Now, tell us a little bit about small cells. You know, you and I have talked about these before, um, but I think you know there's still something that are, that's that it's it's quite new. Um, are you using small cells at the moment? Yeah, so we've got quite a big plan around small cells. Um, there's a 3G variant that we're trialling at the moment. There'll be a 4G one soon. The idea is that um, this is starting to head towards this closer to the end user. We So we did a trial in downtown Auckland, um, just around Elliott Street, and it filled in a coverage hole just in between two buildings really well. People were quite happy with that. We've done some in-building solutions where some customers were in high-rise buildings. Um, we're doing some rural tests where we're looking at um, filling in some gaps in rural New Zealand and small towns. So we see it as you know, augmenting rural, in-building, and little small black spots or right. And so the, these are boxes that are yeah, you know, not really much bigger than a I guess a desktop computer in many ways yep. uh, that. Will will spread a mobile uh, or a cellular signal not the same distance as a big tower, uh, and yeah, about a kilometre. Yeah, um, and about two hundred concurrent phone calls or twenty one megabits per second download speed is what the current trial is. But pretty soon that'll be forty two meg three G, and then ultimately four G just around the corner. So we see it as being really key to some of our growth. And do you have big challenges in terms of rolling those out? Because you know we often hear about the the challenges to get resource consents for a normal, uh, you know, full powered uh, cell site. What sort of challenges do you have getting these out, or is it or is it more to do with you know the cost of the infrastructure as being the the key? The backhaul thing? is the main issue, actually. Right, getting getting the cell signal onto a backhaul network. Um, so, for instance, if you're a business convincing the IT manager in the company that it's not a security risk to give us a VLAN port on their existing infrastructure and rather than us laying a fibre to their building um, would be an example. Um, In rural New Zealand, maybe a a shortwave or microwave hop from one of the buildings to maybe an RBI tower. Those are the sorts of issues mainly. Right. Yeah. And how many of these sort of, well, how many cell sites does Vodafone have in New Zealand today? Uh, 1,486, plus small cells. <laughs> right. So of, so looking at small cells, what sort of numbers of small cells are you likely to roll out oh. over, the, over the next years ahead? Well, so SureSignal is a small cell, and SureSignal is a DSL-based um, fem-to-cell product we launched about two years ago. Um, and At least two years three ago. Years ago three years ago. Yeah, yeah, we went out to Murawai. Yeah. So that was... Um, Bethel's Beach it was, yeah, three years ago. Um, so there's about 9,500 of those in the network now. 
I would say that the small cell technology is going to be in the thousands. Right. Like Wi-Fi hotspots and all yep. the other technologies. And, and the, the shore signals, the uh, femtocells, cells, which people can just plug into their own their own internet connection. How have those been going for you? Are there any major challenges with, with that technology? Um, initially, handover between the macro and the in-home. If you had absolutely no coverage and you were in the middle of rural, you didn't have an, a macro network right. to roam so through. No sort of so there was a couple of handover issues right. um, which were ironed out with the next software release. Um, the self-install and the um, product itself has been really reliable. I get a lot of good feedback. So that would be the only issue I heard historically was that handover. You know, people had cases of they were on the phone driving into their house and migrating across, but that was right, some time drop, ago. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And some future plans around those? You mentioned uh, before maybe some new software or something coming for those. There's a new uh, software release. Um, we've got some new features that we're testing, and I will tell you very soon what that is. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's, it's got what, some, what, are the, what are some of the potential features that can be delivered over a uh, over these femtocells? cells? Oh, possibly alternate backhaul techniques, but we'll get to that in the near future. All right, all right. Um, now, you've recently come back from, uh, from, from Europe, and uh, you, know, you keep pretty up to date with, the, I guess, the, the future things that are going on within the mobile world, and, and obviously you, you have to. This is, that's your job. Um, can, is there anything you can tell us about future things? You mentioned 5G. What are other things that are sort of you know, going to be coming to mobile networks uh, you know, maybe th- not specifically things that Vodafone necessarily, you know, has confirmed on your roadmap or anything, but just some of the other things that I are think, of interest. Yeah, the small cell technology and the um, carrier aggregation are the two near future things. But with that comes a lot of um, historically operators have done a lot of manual optimization and tuning and management of the network. So I think the next big wave of development is going to be how you actually remotely manage and optimize those networks. So there's a thing called self-optimizing networks, and it's actually putting a lot of the intelligence of managing that network into the network's hands itself. Right. Um, That's pretty important. So when you have, you know, 10,000 small cells out there, you want to make sure that you're optimizing where the traffic is, the other big area is um, intelligent antennas and um, active antenna technology. So, you know, when you've got a crowd moving, you can see where the crowd's moving and the antenna electronics actually follows that. So you can see congestion outside Mount, um, Eden Park before the game. The antenna's actually focusing on the crowd movements and making sure that you get the capacity. Right, you so need. you get the strongest signal on, on where the bulk of the people are. Yeah. Right. So there's some things like that that we'll be doing in the near future. A lot of the globe is really focused on um, convergence on internet protocol, IP. IPv6 is obviously pretty imminent. Sure. Um, we've already got IPv6 capability, but we're upgrading bits of other bits of the legacy network. The whole convergence of fixed and mobile, fibre to the edge, fibre to the X, making sure that it's voice over IP, Voice over LTE is a voice over IP technology. Currently, 4G falls to 3G for voice. So, everything being or a data packet, be it fixed mobile and video, is where I see things happening in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. Right. Okay. 
And um, I mean, we've just been through a number of uh, music festivals around the country over the over the last few weeks. Seems to be a pretty challenging area for you know how you get signal out to uh, you know when you've got maybe twenty thousand people in in one spot. How how do you address that, and how can you address that sort of better going forward? Is that something that uh, is reliant on these technologies? Can you bring in sort of mobile uh, uh, sites and so on to to improve that? Yeah. So, it's, it, firstly, um, the mobile cell sites on wheels, cows as we call them, um, you need to. We've got about twenty something of them. Now, initially, a lot of those were tied up in Christchurch after the earthquake as temporary south site coverage. Obviously, that's more or less stabilised now. Um, so they are available for events. Events tend to be clustered in times of the year. So you get a Wanaka show at the same time as a Gisborne show at the same time as a Piha show at the same right. time as a... So you've got to manage getting them around the country logistically. Yep. And then you've also got to manage quite often they're in rural, out-of-the-way places. What's your backhaul technology going to be? Because 4G needs 300 megabits per second of backhaul. Right. Whereas so how do you actually link it back into the network? Correct. Right. So those are the sorts of challenges we have. Um, I think we've done pretty well this year. Um, a lot of the holiday spots we put in um, semi-permanent south sites rather than south sites on wheels, which right. helped, especially Coromandel and yeah. um, other places. So we're getting better. I think you know it's a trade-off between a bit of congestion and a two or three hundred thousand dollar permanent south site for just that one peak right. versus a temporary installation. In fact, funnily enough, last year we put a cow into a uh, place in Coromandel and after it left we had some, um, why can't we have that coverage permanently? So, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, anyway. It's, I guess that's inevitable, isn't it? We'll never get it perfect and I yeah. apologise for those times of congestion. Yeah. We are trying to get it better. And, I mean, the the big day out was one that I heard a lot of tweets about. There were also, I think, some for an event in Wellington um last week as well where people you know after the fact were saying oh we couldn't get coverage all day um is that just this sheer numbers is is there any more you can share about that type of event and what could make it better you know getting the organizers on board and and so on in some you know particular way um, i don't i think most organizers actually want the coverage so yeah, yeah. it's more getting the um coverage there getting the backhaul in um, for instance, one year somebody um, turned the power off and we couldn't get a, a maintenance engineer and that was at Christmas in the Park last year. Wow. So this year we put a security guard on. Right, right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, there's always gotchas. Yeah, yeah. But I agree we could do it better. It's it's just the volume of people congested into one area at one moment in time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Um now, in terms of your, I'm just having a look here, uh, your HD voice, That's uh, that was one of the new things you launched uh, really towards the end of last year. What is needed for that to sort of become, uh, I guess, more broadly available rather than just in a Vodafone to Vodafone uh, mobile call? Is that going to be yeah, rolling out onto... Uh, landline networks and uh, the, other, other things as, as those networks sort of improve technically and we move to, you know, more IP-based calling yep. and so okay. on. Okay, so let's tick off um, different aspects of this. Firstly, um, you need, if you're going to 
do it internationally or with other operators, they need to support the service and you need to have the interconnect with them to support that. So you need to put in some um, additional capability between the networks. So whether you see it globally um, as a roaming product is debatable. Um, as far as between fixed and mobile, once again you need that bridging technology between the codex. So it's the um, encoding and decoding of the analog to digital. Now, a lot of the fixed network handsets aren't actually capable of high definition. Sure. Device. They're yep. the old legacy, and then you do an analog to digital conversion. You have an analog terminal adapter, an ATI port, and you know that's how you get onto the internet. So it's going to be device limited. Um, on the most 4G devices, support um, HD voice. Until we get voice over IP or voice over LTE, they'll support a 3G HD voice offering. Voice over IP in the purest sense will be HD. So I think over time, as everything moves to an IP world, you'll see higher quality voice. Right, and we'll just get used to that sort of high definition yep. Yep. you know, voice. Okay, good, good. Um, I think that probably just about uh, just about wraps it up. Anything else sort of exciting that we should be aware of that's sort of coming down the coming down the pipe from uh, from Vodafone? I think we've talked about the four G and the five G, and I mean the five G is pretty exciting, but it's a wee way off. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's uh, it's not something we're going to get a chance to test over the next sort of twelve to twenty four months, is it? No, but convergence is really where things are at right now. It's bringing together fixed and mobile and. Having a seamless user experience, you shouldn't have to worry about what, whether it's ADSL, VDSL, 4G, 3G, it should just be a seamless user experience and that's really where I think the short-term focus has to be. Good. Oh, we'll look forward to uh, to what you've got coming next, and uh, certainly we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to trying out your uh, your VDSL and hoping that uh, it's not too far off before you can uh, you know launch your Vodafone TV product on that in some way. That would be really good to uh, have a look at. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll certainly be keeping in touch with uh, with what new things you've got coming through. So thanks very much for joining us, Tony. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Cheers. Good. Now, um, are you uh, are you accessible on Twitter or online? Is there any way people can uh, can ping you direct or do you try and uh, stay stay reasonably email. well hidden? Yeah, I, I'm not a big social media person. All right. <laughs> no, that's fine. But we, but we can catch uh, Vodafone at Vodafone NZ on, uh, on Twitter and uh, there's the Vodafone uh, message boards there as well, which are a good place to uh, to go. And I know Geek Zone have got a pretty uh, a, a pretty busy sort of uh, Vodafone uh, discussion area as well. So I guess those are the best places to recommend people go. Okay, thanks very much. Excellent, thanks, Tony. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.